this doctor who's number two in the health ministry in Italy, who is on record now with this, um, with the Sea Guardian saying that the actual death rates from COVID are more like, it's more like 700. The morbidity is really getting diluted in favor of COVID diagnoses, when in actuality, it's more that a lot of these folks, which Italy has the second oldest population on the globe. His argument, his argument that they're overcounting attribution to COVID. Right. Right. So because Hard because they're, they're, it really should be that they're dying with COVID, not of COVID. Correct. So um, I thought that would be important. Right, but that, to right, but that oh, oh, right, but that requires that that gets that comes out of different practices. But uh, I think the issue for analysis. us is is accuracy in reporting that we have all. Oh, right, of these right, but it may not. But that's my that's my point. It may not be a press evil. It may be a different standard or different different. Well, but you just sent me an article state. yesterday, Jim, from from the Wall Street Journal, saying that, oh, you know, oh no, it's it's it, the numbers are bad in Italy. It just feels like it's there's there's like a battle being right, played it, out oh, in the right, media. But, but, that, but, that, but that might not be a press evil. That may be a like autism rates are different, not because people are e- in, by state, not because people are evil. They just have different methods of diagnosing and different weight they put on the factors or just it's differences in the way the data is collected and reported not differences in the way the journalists are reporting now you can certainly say the journalists aren't doing their job in probing for these well these i would i would argue they're not doing their job just based on the fact that we have a, a military study that's been done that shows there is a potential of 36 percent increase of getting woo flu if you've had the flu shot, and that's a significant data point right, but, for public health, right, and that's but, not but, even but, being but, discussed. That's not, but that, that's, that's an observational study that you can't jump all the way to causation. So do we have a podcast here then? Because I really feel like this is a whole lot of the, the scale of variance in what we're being told is so severe. It's caught, it's it, either there, either it, you know, it's creating such fear and panic for people. Yeah, that's the point, that's the podcast, I think, is that it's but to some extent, not to be defensive of mainstream media, but to some extent, you've got a bunch of blind journalists reporting about the elephant they just discovered. I mean, they're, they're all reporting what they found. It's just one found a trunk and one found a leg and one found a tail and one found Maybe a Maybe they back. should take the blindfold off. I mean, as a fourth generation journalist, I just don't buy that. They have a responsibility to get to the bottom of what's really going on. Guys, for the because this is a great debate. This is great. This is what we want. This is the essence of our podcast. So let's have this. Yeah. Podcast. Well, I'm recording already. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, all right. Well, certainly, just, so the media, yeah. the media in America, the media in the close to the White House uh, Press Association, air all of their coverage. Well, ninety percent of their coverage is colored with a profound political agenda to get Trump. Yeah, well, they're so in this, they have swamp they, they, they have glasses serious, on. They're wearing yeah, they swamp have, glasses, and they're either, you know, got wipers on them so they can see through the muck a little bit, or they're just totally covered in it, in the slime and goop. Okay, so, point on the podcast. So let's go to the podcast. Okay. Well, we can use all of this, but this is good stuff. This is Andy Wakefield, and this is the Andy Wakefield podcast. This is a place where stories are told. That have never been heard before. This is episode 16. Lori Gregory here. My great privilege to be back with 
Andrew Wakefield, and our special guest, Jim Moody. Jim, thank you for a third appearance here on our podcast. And Andy, of course, welcome back to your own podcast. <laughs> no, it's great to be back. Uh, Laurie, Andrew is the name that my mother uses when she's angry with me. So, Andy. Well, she <laughs> might be at this point because the information coming out of the UK where your dear mother is, is just bananas. And that's actually the subject of our podcast today. Um, so, yeah. Andy... It's we're you know we're we're we we want to talk today about what's going on in the media with Wu flu as Jim has dubbed it, which is my favorite surname for this virus, and the the either accuracy or lack of in the journalistic world and what we're being fed as information. So you know we've already been having a robust conversation about this just as we've been leading into this podcast because I don't know about either of you but my community and my uh, friends and family and social media connections, I'm just bombarded probably every 30 seconds with another text, with another link, with another article saying, what about this? What about this? What about this? And there seems to be this just massive confusion about what's happening. Are either of you experiencing this? You know, it's interesting. Adele called me the other day, Adele from the Highway, and Adele said, Andy, what's going on? What's actually going on? What do you think is going on? Um, he's just, he, he senses that there is something not right about any of this. And I, and I wasn't able to answer his question because, of course, I don't know. Because like you, I'm bombarded with the same plethora of, of, of conflicting opinions on what's actually going on. But, you know, we can, and we can hammer out some of that stuff today and perhaps the reasons behind it. But I am at a loss to know what the truth is. That may be part of the agenda as well. But uh, Jim, Right. What... Well, that maybe that is the agenda. Befuddlement is the word that comes to mind for me. Uh, befuddled, befuddlement. Jim, you know, we've been talking about this now for weeks. The data point that I am most fascinated with right now is the reports coming out of the health ministry in Italy saying that the way that a lot of these morbidity rate, the way deaths are being categorized is incorrect, and that the actual death by COVID or Wu flu, as you call it, is closer to probably 700 and not the thousands, the 8% that, that's been reported. But as soon as, as, as the uh, number two in the health ministry is, is quoted in media making this claim that, that deaths are being categorized as with or as I'm sorry, as from COVID instead of with COVID, because there are often two or three or more pre-existing conditions which create quote comorbidity. We turn around and not even 12 hours later, now we've got the Wall Street Journal saying this is total bunk. So what are your thoughts? What are you experiencing? Well, I think that the press coverage is that uh, we can refer to Hollywood for an example. As I think the press is trying to cover this as they would cover news about an asteroid hurtling toward the earth. It was just discovered. It was secret for a while. It was just discovered. Uh, the scientists disagree. A reputable scientists disagree. And there's a, a literally a complete absence of data to know what the effect this asteroid is going to have. It how, can we, how can we say this is, is just discovered? I mean, we, we're, we're seeing all kinds of information all over media, c citizen journalism, about this is patented, 
It has multiple patents. We saw Event 201 in November where they were talking about a coronavirus as a practice for a global pandemic. I mean, the idea that this was just discovered, I don't right. think the, the public well, is well, buying it. Well, right, when I say it was just discovered, what I mean is that between, say, November 1st and uh, beginning of March, the, the press was discovering it. And there are, there are originally, even, even Dr. Fauci said on January 27th, it's just the flu. And, exactly. And it is just Weiler, the flu. Weiler and reported. it's so, SARS. And SARS has been around for a while, right? Help right, me, Andy. What, You're right, the doctor. Is the the, the is, enormity of the press coverage, it is the biggest story possibly in human history. Or is it, though? Is it, it is, is it the biggest story? Or is the effect of it, is the economic shutdown and the fear, is that the biggest story? Yeah, I think that's the point you've been making. They are turning it into the biggest story, just like the asteroid coming towards Earth. And and. The, the problem is that what we're getting in that story is hugely conflicting and it depends upon the political bias of the press and who they want to blame and how many clicks they want to get to get attention to their program rather than or their newspaper rather than anyone else's. And so it's 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 become very, very distorted. And the Italian story that you tell about the way in which these diseases or the deaths are categorized is, is an example of this. And so the Italians are saying that, look, we have a very broad system of categorization for ascribing death to a particular event. And if you have, if you are simply positive for Wu flu, and they don't even define which what they mean by positive. Is it an antibody test? Is it actively infected by uh, molecular sequencing, whatever it is, we don't know. But if you are positive with the way in which they're testing, even though the Wu flu may not have been the cause of your death, it may have been one of the comorbid conditions that you had, like complications of heart problems or lung problems mm -hmm. or diabetes, but that death is nonetheless be being ascribed to Wu flu. And so you're seeing these very big numbers in Italy. And because it's an elderly population, disproportionately elderly compared with the rest of Europe or America, then we're seeing a lot of people with comorbid conditions. And so it, it's, it's really a function of the way in which you categorize death. And the Italian doctor is saying, if you actually look at those where this is directly ascribable to Wu flu, it's the smallest 700 deaths. Is this irresponsible? I mean, in, in terms of journalism, I mean, I, 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 at least this is getting reported. I'm happy to see that we have somebody inside the Italian health ministry who's willing to bring attention to this and is getting it out to the media. It's been reported in two different uh, media outlets. But as well, soon as it, it comes it, out, you know, the Wall Street would, Journal is bashing it and saying, no, 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 this isn't true. So it, it would be irresponsible if in the face of that information from the Italian doctor, depending upon his obviously his level of credibility and his status. But if it would be irresponsible not to report that, yes, in fact, there may be an exaggeration of the number of cases caused directly by Wu flu and for this very reason. So not to, in the face of that information, report that. That would be, I think, uh, irresponsible. But then we but, have two layers. So, then we have the, the actual media willing to report it. So yeah, that's as, when you that's, whether it's right. responsible. 
Right. I, but 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 we have a somewhat similar example here with the seasonal re- reporting of the flu. CDC has been an argument for a long time that CDC way overcounts so-called flu deaths mm-hmm. of thirty to sixty thousand a year, and that maybe only one or two thousand actually have uh, you know laboratory confirmed flu, because their their practice is to count a pneumonia death over age sixty-five as a flu death, even though the virus hasn't been laboratory confirmed. Uh, and so a, a lot of the and they and they do that arguably for political reasons. They want everyone on the first of November to get vaccinated as a social prophylaxis against uh, uh, a, you know, a, a disease with a, a fixed but relatively low death rate. And that brings me to my second point, which is here we have a military study that is published. Andy, you can speak more to the science of it. But why is a data point as significant as what this study is indicating that there could be an up to 36% increase likely that likelihood that you will come down with woo flu if you get the regular seasonal flu shot. That is an important data point for public health and one that is not being mentioned anywhere near the COVID commission or anywhere in mainstream media. Well, again, it's a very interesting observation and it provides a sound hypothesis for doing the very study that we discussed in our last podcast, which would be to look at the risk of Wu-Flu infection and Wu-Flu outcome in those who've received the seasonal flu vaccine and those who haven't. Because the suggestion in this study clearly is that if you've had the seasonal flu vaccine, you are predisposed to getting COVID-19. Why would that not be uh, mentioned? That that's it, that seems like a pure that's a pure money issue. It sounds like that they just don't want to shut off the 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 cash register associated with the flu shot. I mean, it, it, which is exactly what Jim's saying happens every year when the way a lot of the flu deaths are categorized at the CDC. So, well, I'll just comment on that because it's fascinating. It throws up a real problem: is that this 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 concept of crying wolf. If you present the public with all of these flu deaths in an effort to drive them towards getting their flu shot so that the companies can make money and Mm -hmm. the system can thrive, when it comes to a situation like Wu flu, suddenly you've got fewer deaths than the seasonal flu. The seasonal flu, we don't have this panic. We don't have these lines. We don't have shops closing. We aren't all wearing masks. There isn't this sense of of, of panic ending doom. Mm-hmm. or something where the the numbers of deaths they tell us are much greater. But of course, as Jim points out, they're not much greater at all. They well, are, that, well, to bring yes. up my, my, my metaphor again, the seasonal flu is more akin to the, what I'd call the normal pounding of the Earth by meteors. We are we're hit by hundreds of meteors <coughs> every year. They're small little rocks. You can find them in museums, and we don't shut down the economy. But there's a difference between the ordinary little rocks and an asteroid that's existential. And why aren't they showing us that comparative data? Why aren't we seeing in these daily pressers? Here are the regular numbers for the regular. So let's just put this in context. Instead, irresponsibly, in my opinion, those numbers are being omitted. And this fear and panic is being pushed. Most average Americans don't even know what the the typical flu numbers are. So to them, you know, 3,500 deaths is sounds terrible. Even 
you know, horrid. They don't know on average. I know with H1N1, the death rate was almost 12,000 Americans. I think that was higher than most flu seasons. So why aren't we seeing the comparative? This is another data point that for me appears that there's a collusion with mainstream media with what's being pushed out by the Trump administration, the COVID commission, to be adding kerosene to the fire. I think that's right. I think that we're not being told the true story because it would conflict with the historical narrative that all of these deaths from flu occur every year, therefore get your flu shot. Now we're presented with the notion that getting your flu shot predisposes you to COVID-19 and that the mortality from COVID-19 is apocalyptic. And of course, it's not the one thing that's really interesting, Laurie, is that the media talk about panic, 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 panic. I, <laughs> I don't see any panic. I see <laughs> the public behaving in a perfectly reasonable way. I don't, I haven't seen panic. The only reference to panic, in fact, the closest I came to panic was the other day, an elderly lady was walking along the street and, and sort of paused and stepped back to maintain mm -hmm. six feet of social distancing. That was as close as I've seen to panic in this. And it's the media that are saying panic, 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 but I don't see it. Nobody's panicking. Which is, which, which is precisely to my point that they are exacerbating and contributing to this narrative in a very fear-based manner. Well, well, you see this sometimes in Florida with the media coverage just before a hurricane. It's a week mm -hmm. out. Precisely. Just, just put it on the radar screen, mm -hmm. you know, as the, as the forecasters are wont to do for entirely good and legitimate scientific reasons. The media creates a state of panic. Everybody boards everything up. And then at the last two days before the hurricane hits, it turns and heads someplace else. The scientists didn't lie, really. They, they were accurately reporting their data. Just hurricanes turn. Yeah, it's the height. Hurtling, the asteroid, yeah. hur asteroid hurtling toward the Earth, it may indeed be hurtling. But it may we the accuracy of our scientific observation may be off just enough. So there's an asteroid will miss. There's an exploitation of information that drives consumerism. Sorry about that. Exactly right. And that is, and I, yeah, you'll have seen this. And that is the use of footage from another country, from another scenario, possibly from Italy used in American mainstream media, used in several major television networks of the catastrophe that's taking place in hospitals. Mm. That did not come. The footage did not come. They all used the oh, same Oh, is that the is that the the, bo the body bag and supposedly it's like it's, a mobile it, morgue or something that's supposedly no, it, in New it York? Was, yeah, it, it was it seemed to be inside a an emergency room with all kinds yeah. of chaos going on and it turns yep. out to be absolutely nothing to do with the circumstances in america at all some different yeah. countries different absolutely that is irresponsible journalism yeah. you have a duty particularly during a crisis like that to be even more stringent or even more rigorous about your reporting and they, there they go using images that is rather like that image that they use to to talk about the measles outbreak and the, the devastation and horror of measles returning, and they paint spots on the body of a child. They oh, paint yeah. Google images. I mean, this is Lester appalling. Holt, NBC. It is appalling. And Jason Goodman from Crowdsource the Truth actually did a walkabout last night in New York City, just filming what he saw and trying to talk to folks that were in and around parts of, of New York City 
you know, there were some army guys. He tried to engage them in conversation. They were very reticent to speak to him, being in and around a couple of the hospitals just to see if he could see anything. I do know one health freedom activist who, and I don't like, like that word activist. It sounds like we're going to do some sort of vile activity, but a health freedom fighter, let's say, um, who went to her local hospital and, you know, she saw the tent the emergency tent set up to accommodate large numbers of people. The parking lot was half empty and the only person in and around this makeshift tent was the security guard. So I'm not going to tell people what to do, but I think it, we have a responsibility to pay attention to what's happening at our local hospitals, certainly not to interfere, not to go into the hospitals. I mean, I know one doctor who is fighting right now to help another doctor in Denver get access to his own stem cells, which are being completely blocked ridiculously. And the, the, the doctor that is on a respirator and has been for eight days, his wife can't even get into the hospital. They won't even let her in the hospital. She's not even allowed to see him. He's totally quarantined. So I wouldn't encourage anyone to go into a hospital, but I think we need to be eyes on the ground in our own communities and just pay attention. What are we seeing? We need to compare all of these facts, with what we're actually seeing and what we're being told and, and try to deduce with some sense of rationale at a local level, what is really going on? Now, there's another report that's coming out of the UK today that there are very uh, great concerns that core parts of the COVID test they're finding are actually contaminated with the Wu flu virus. Andy, what are your thoughts on that? We need more information, Laurie. I, you know, I looked into this and I it was not certain what these tests were were they antibody tests to look at evidence of exposure were they antibody tests to look at evidence of active infection were they gene genetic tests to look at evidence of active infection it wasn't of it wasn't evident and what does contamination mean were they mm -hmm. contaminated with genetic sequences of the virus were they contaminated with antibodies again, were they contaminated with the virus itself? So well, we've only got one test right now, right? We've got the invasive one that goes all the way up your your nasal cavity. Abbott Labs is fast tracking a newer test that will be a faster test and less invasive. But I don't believe we have that yet, do we, Jim? Do you know anything about that? I don't think that's available yeah, the, yet. The, the Abbott test was approved by FDA as an emergency use last Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, this is this is the one that's a it's a different platform. So it's it's the platform they use in the doctor's office to test for strep and flu. Mm -hmm. So uh, uses they're still looking for the active infection and not the antibody test. But it will be available. Its advantage is when it's distributed, it'll be a positive in five minutes and negative in fifteen minutes, and it'll be from a self-collected nasal swab as opposed to the back of the throat with all the personal protective equipment. So it'll so, be easier, faster, and, and much less, less consumption of PPE. So, Andy, so the current test, is the current test an antibody test? The one that goes all the way, as <laughs> the rapper Drake posted on his Instagram the other day, I had the COVID test. It goes all the way up to where my thoughts are. So I guess it goes like almost up into the forehead area and the sinal cavity. But well, what it, it must be looking for active infection, because if you're looking for immune response and evidence of immunity or active infection looking at what's called IgM antibody then you're looking at a blood sample so 
if they're taking swabs, then that's going to be looking for active infection, um, either by genetic testing or by some other viral identification mechanism. So all of this journalistic friendly... And, 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 and by the way, a great deal of the uncertainty and a great deal of the mathematical uncertainty is due to uh, a, a complete lack of knowledge about the background rate of infection and the background rate of infection plus recovery. We just don't have the, just anybody who tells you we know is just lying. We don't but this know. is, and that, this that, that, is that a SARS virus, Jim. This has been around for a long time, right? Do we have an excuse to not know all of this at this point? SARS well, yeah, has that, been around that, that, that's, for right, 15 that, 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 plus that's a years. Different, that's a different topic. That goes to preparation. Uh, should we have a, first of all, you can't develop the test kit until you have the viral sequence. Number one, uh, so you, you you but should we have a lab pre-stationed and pre-positioned to rapidly develop test kits when a new virus emerges? And clearly, yes, because mm-hmm. we've shut down the world's economy. You know, two billion people are on have various kinds of house arrest because mm-hmm. of this asteroid hurtling this way, and we don't have the faintest clue it's going to hit us or not. The, bo- the bottleneck is all about healthcare utilization and running out of vents. That's what the driving bottleneck is right now. It's a very interesting point you both make that we we are going to have to get used to this notion in not, in terms of preparation, because what vaccines are doing, and we've had this discussion before, what vaccines are doing against particularly those against live viruses, is putting a genetic selection pressure on those viruses to mutate, just in the same way that inadequate antibiotics put a selection pressure upon bacteria to mutate and produce multi-resistant, highly pathogenic dangerous bacteria. We're now seeing the same thing with measles vaccine, for example, creating a genetic selection pressure to produce variants of the measles virus unseen before that are resistant to the immunity induced by the vaccine strain virus. And so we're going to see the emergence of these new viruses. I hesitate to call them super viruses. I don't mean know, but they are going to present a challenge to us because they will not be susceptible to the immunity from the vaccine that we have. And so in terms of preparation, what do we do? We have created this situation. It may be that similarly, we've created the situation in Wuhan by putting genetic selection pressure on this virus, either in the laboratory or in, in the wild form, but that no one knows. And that's well, and if the vaccines are contributing to that, we're going to just do the same thing again. History is going to repeat itself. We have no less than 50, 50, five, zero, Wu flu vaccines in development. The latest one I read about is Johnson & Johnson is now partnered with HHS, So health and human services now have skin in the game in the vaccine business, which I'm sure they already did, but they've increased that portfolio now. Johnson & Johnson is one of the largest healthcare companies in the world, conglomerates. It's just going to continue to perpetuate. I know we talk about this in the film, and that's why I can't wait for the world to see the film in the next six, seven weeks. We're getting close here. Um, because you, you encapsulate some of this history and, you know, I love the notion that you can't really know where you're going until you know where you've been. And that's why I think the history of these five plus decades narratives continuing to roll out is really fascinating as we're discussing all of this and contemplating 
accuracy in journalism and the responsibility of the journalistic profession to really challenge what the data are that are coming out of public health sources and to really pay attention. And as we've said earlier, to look at the comparative numbers for Wu flu and what we would typically see in a flu season. Well, one, one of the point I would make is that there has the media in many, many of the G20 countries has morphed now into an agenda-driven rather than fact-driven media. The media now are in the business of promoting memes. Mm -hmm. One of the memes that the left, left-leaning media values and therefore will promote is the idea that um, a government must intervene to stop a harm, and then government power, this is sort of utilitarian argument, goes back to John Stuart Mill, you, the government power is appropriate to use to stop a harm, real or perceived. But the so, definition is what is a harm? Because the, that, that, the cure right, is more the, harmful the, than the cause right, at this point it's looking like. Right, right, but the media has found a harm that has worked to facilitate a use of government power never before seen in the history of humanity. And that's, I think, to some extent driving the reportage at this point, is they're fueling that meme because they see what power it gives to governments to to shut down uh, church services. Mm-hmm. Never, never before has that even been attempted in America. Now, every, pretty much you know, 38 or 40 of the states have shut down church services. So the tail is wagging the dog at this point. If they're just jumping on the bandwagon to be a an echo chamber of what this power center has accomplished, we are being disserved as a public, and it's tragic. And it's probably why we're seeing such a large variance in facts, because people are scrambling to try to understand. And there are parts of the media that I think are authentic. I know there are journalists out there that are wanting to get to the truth. <laughs> I, I, I wish there were more, but I think that that it is exactly that. They're pushing agendas. And a lot of that comes from the fact that all of mainstream media are owned by four corporations. And that's a very dangerous reality. But as we're thinking and talking about all of this, I'm very interested in shifting gears a little bit to this Brian Deere narrative, because Andy, I know that you have been on the receiving end of agendaized, propagandaized journalism. And a lot of what you've experienced in the 20 plus years that you've been involved in these kinds of narratives have been traceable back to one individual who really appears to be what I would categorize as an irresponsible journalist. And I was wondering if you could speak to that just a bit. Yes, Brian, dear, I'm not sure that he's irresponsible. In, he's actually responsible to the people who are clearly paying him to do what he's done, whoever that might be, whether it's Murdoch's Sunday Times. or So <laughs> he's responsible to them. But so he's, he's responsible to that corporate machine. Irresponsible to the rest of the world. To the public, sure. Uh, yes, but he, and the reason, that we, and we, I have no doubt, we'll talk about this for weeks and months to come because it's a very interesting topic and it impacts very much on the issues that we're dealing with now, is that he has, reluctant as I am said, written a book called The Doctor Who Deceived the World and it is meant to re- release in this country or uh, quite soon, um, but I'm quite grateful for this actually because it is being published by a, a an American publishing house, Johns Hopkins University Press, and it gives me for the first time the opportunity to sue for 
malicious defamation in America without the previous constraint we had when we tried to sue Brian Deere and the British Medical Journal in Texas is that we did not have personal jurisdiction over these people because they were from the UK. And despite the long arm statute that Texas has, and despite legal precedent, all legal precedent, we were denied the right to sue Brian Deere and to get this story, all of it, in the public. And what I want to do is get it into the public domain so that people can see for themselves the entire story and therefore the truth. And they were desperate, desperate not to have it get into the public domain. Um, and we were denied access to them. And that was a great shame, but that no longer pertains because it has been published or um, uh, will be published by an American publishing house. And they have already on, and Jim can speak to this, they have already committed defamation. I wouldn't use the word responsible in the same paragraph as Brian Deere. Am I being preparing... too kind? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Way too kind. In, in preparing a demand letter, to, which we sent to Hopkins a few weeks ago, to uh, get a pre-publication copy of the book to respond to, which mm. is entirely appropriate in order to, so that they are informed about the truth. And so they're not liable under the American standards of uh, being responsible for what you publish. You can't stop publication, but you can hold them liable for what they publish that is false and done with malice or reckless disregard for the truth of what they say. It and is, it appears it that has preparing. happened, Jim. You, you, just in looking at the the blurb, it appears that that is exactly right what's on, happening, correct? On Amazon, yes, on Amazon, there's a promotional blurb there, and, and it is riddled with factual errors. And it appears that Brian Deere is is nothing more than what they used to call with respect to the Soviets, a useful idiot. The powers that be that wanted to suppress inquiry into vaccine safety or autism or health policy found this obsessed stalker and used him as a tool to promote uh, this attack on Dr. Wakefield. Some of Deere's conduct is, is it, to say it, it's unethical. I, it borders on criminal, and let's we'll give you one example. He filed a, a complaint with the licensing board in the UK based on information he was secretly provided. And then he would later come to not only cover that investigation, but deny that he was the person that initiated the investigation. A gross violation of journalistic ethics. And it now appears that in his complaint itself, he made a blatantly false statement that the study originally done in 1998 on the 12 Lancet children, one of Deere's core allegations, really the core allegation was it was unethical. And uh, it now appears as though Deere was provided with documents before he made his initial complaint with the licensing board that it had every appropriate ethics approval. And in America, that would make him guilty of obstruction of justice, causing a proceeding that had no factual basis. And then going on to covering it, which is a violation of journalistic ethics without disclosing his role in creating it. He's the, the arsonist who started the fire only to show up as the fireman to put it out. <laughs> it's a wonderful analogy. I love that. So he really is the epitome of a farce and in, in nowhere near being welcomed to have the title of journalist. Andy, this would be a remarkable opportunity, I'm certain that you would enjoy the chance to have your day in court and lay out a lot of what has been thrown at you that is complete rubbish. Yeah, and I, let me just qualify this. that I have actually, I moved on many years ago from this at a personal level. I'm, I'm not interested in personal revenge. What I want is for the truth to be out in public because it's so important to the way in which the kind of narrative we're dealing with with Wu Flu is 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 
is seen and perceived by the public. And the other thing is that because of what he did to me and to my career, thousands and thousands and thousands of children with autism were denied due care and attention to their, particularly their gastrointestinal, their real gastrointestinal problems for many years because doctors were terrified that they would be as, as a common sort of common parlance now wakefielded that they would their careers would be destroyed because they were working with these children on what was intended to be perceived as fraudulent misconduct and so many children suffered as a direct consequence of Brian Deere's lies and that's unforgivable not only that we now know that the commonest the most consistent the most regular finding in autism research worldwide is the link with the gastrointestinal tract and so many children could have benefited in the intervening years if we'd been able to do the science that was necessary to pursue this issue we would be so much further ahead we would have answers for people now and we don't and we don't precisely because of the actions taken by Brian Deere, Rupert Murdoch and his newspapers so it needs to be redressed on many levels and so that is why we're taking this opportunity I'm grateful to Johns Hopkins for providing us with this opportunity to set the record straight. Jim what are your final thoughts on that? I think Dr. Winfield's hit on the on the real tragedy here, which is the, of course, it's a, to, a, to attack a scientist, to attack a scientist whistleblower for raising legitimate concerns about vaccine safety, about possible causes of, of what was then the early stages of the autism epidemic, to take a robust scientific debate and turn it into <clears throat> a, a vicious attack on a whistleblower is done by industry, by government, pr- promoting their names and memes, and certainly by the media to mm-hmm. serve a broader social interest, whether it's protecting health policy, whether it's protecting industry, whether it's protecting the, the white coat establishment, the doctors are always right, critics are always wrong. Uh, but the real tragedy in all this is that the, 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 all of those kids who were damaged from vaccine, who are suffering with autism and bowel disease, who were denied the, the care and attention and uh, compensation in the uh, US uh, and UK vaccine injury compensation programs, that society ethically and morally required them to have you know, because of this overarching meme to protect industry and public health policy. So the book, it will either be published and the lawsuit will proceed or the book will be pulled because they've been put on notice that the information they're pushing is false and is clearly intended for malice. Is that correct? Well, the, the timing is interesting because there's a rapidly sweeping movement of concern over vaccine safety, which mm-hmm. will now, you know, it'll mm-hmm. we'll escalate beyond our imagining about vaccine safety. So the, I think the book was timed to coincide with this rapidly spreading rebellion, revolution, whatever you want to call it, health awareness amongst the health, health freedom advocacy community. Uh, there are real concerns about vaccine safety, both as to their, their safety, their testing, their licensing, and, and compensation for injuries. And this book is designed to coincide with that. And so the demand letter requests a pre-publication copy for review, a request they withhold publication. My hope, of course, is that they don't publish it. But if they go, if they go ahead and if their backers insist on it or whatever, it will 
lead to the secondary benefit that there will be a lawsuit which will assist in getting to the truth about the financial backing behind Deere's reportage or lack thereof, and will uh, will lead to a full you know, exposure in front of a jury in the media as to how this whistleblower was wrongly damaged and in connection with the greater damage done to the community of injured children. Well, we will be sure to keep our audience up to date. The film is getting close. I just want to do a quick commercial that we have an Amazon Smile account set up. So anyone who shops on Amazon can actually have a portion of their purchase go toward Crystal Clear Film Foundation. Um, it's smile.amazon.com forward slash ch for charity forward slash 82-134-6850. You can replay and jot that down if you're inclined to set up your Amazon account so that each purchase will go toward the completing of this very important film. Andy, Jim, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Watch out for the asteroids. It's always a pleasure, Lori. Thank you. And thank you, Andy. Thank you, thank you Jim. Thank you, Lori. You've been listening to the Andy Wakefield Weekly Podcast, a place where stories are being told that have never been heard before. This is a Seventh Chakra Films production in collaboration with Brick City Creative. Please follow and like us while you still can on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 1986 The Act, and soon on Sphere.